Welcome to this week's very special 100th episode of the Who the Folk podcast. I'm Lonnie Goldsmith, the editor of TC Jew Folk. This week, I talk with Minnesota United football club forward Aaron Schoenfeld. We talk about life in the bubble of Orlando, what it was like playing for both big Tel Aviv clubs, and taking penalty kicks under pressure on this week's Who the Folk podcast. Aaron Schoenfeld, welcome to the Who the Folk podcast for episode 100 of our podcast. Thanks for joining us for the milestone. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. Appreciate you me. So being, uh, being a professional athlete, you're uh, forward for the Minnesota United Football Club, the Loons. Uh, so much of being an athlete is about routine. And this yeah. year is, has been anything but that. I mean, this has to have been the hardest thing you've experienced as an athlete. Oh, for sure. Um, you know, physically, it's difficult. You're doing essentially multiple preseasons, you know, just trying to stay fit. And mentally, um, you know, it's uncharted territory. Um, just, it's tough, you know, your mind will wonder. And, you know, you find yourself thinking all the time, you know, what's next, what next. And it's just so much of the unknown right now. So before we started recording, you mentioned uh, you're back in Minneapolis now. You're out of the bubble of Orlando. What was the experience of being trapped, I suppose, for lack of yeah. a better term, in, in Disney World for, for, yeah. a, for a month? It's, you know, it was really tough, actually. Um, you know, obviously, it's, a, it's not an easy situation for anyone. Um, sure. you know, everyone's got loved ones. You know, a lot of guys on our team are married with children. And, you know, I can't imagine what those guys went through. But, um, you know we were there for over 40 days um you just miss having any bit of freedom um you know to have a nice coffee or to go buy your own groceries or to pick what food you're gonna eat um <laughs> just the little things you know and obviously i'm not complaining you know we were fed really well and you know all of that we were taken care of but it's just hard when you lose a bit of freedom you know like certain hours that you're able to that the team is able to use the pool for recovery um for instance, one day we went to play mini golf and it was probably the most fun I had out there outside of soccer. And, you know, you're ushered off the course at like exactly one hour, you know, and it's, it, that stuff, you can't even finish, you know, and that's the stuff where it's like, oh my God, you know, you wish so bad to have any bit of freedom. God, that's brutal. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's great. I, I mean, I suppose the trade-off to that freedom is at least you got to play. Exactly. Uh, you know, also, uh, you know, it's just – Everyone wants to play, um, so that obviously made it a lot easier for us. Um, but, you know, it's just – yeah, like I said, I can't even imagine what the guys on the team who went with that are married and uh, have their children. I mean, that, I mean, I remember seeing the day we left, Ozzy Alonso came with his family, and I remember seeing his daughter crying, crying. And I was sitting on the bus, like, I, you know, obviously for my situation it's not easy, but can you imagine what these guys are going through? Right. I mean, I mean, and I've been to a number of Loons games at, at Allianz last year, and you see the players who have kids after the game, after they, especially after a win, after they salute the the Wonderwall, the, the, they'll grab their kids and they'll run around with their kids on the field. And yeah. there is such that bond that that they have, that the kids have, obviously to their fathers, but also to the team and the, that they have to be left for yeah. so long. It's, it's got to be almost impossible for them. I remember when I was a kid, if my father left for the weekend for a business trip, it was like the longest three days of my life. I can't imagine what, you know, a five-year-old boy or girl is thinking when their father's gone for 41 days. Right. And, and now for you personally, you also had the 
sort of interesting experience that your girlfriend, uh, Abby Dahlkemper, who plays for North Carolina Courage in the Women's National Soccer League, was also going through a similar bubbling experience in Utah. Yeah. Did, did you guys, like, compare notes at all about what that was like? <laughs> I mean, we would call, and it's, you know, your days are boring, so that's what we're <laughs> talking about. Right? I mean – they were in a bit of a different situation than us. Uh, they were in an embassy suites with three other teams. And, okay, we were fortunate enough to be in, like, you know, a resort and all that, a little more sure. space to walk. And But, yeah, I mean, it's obviously topics that we talk about and just, you know, both waiting for the day to have some freedoms. Yeah. So did you, when did you know growing up that pro soccer was going to be an option for you? Because obviously – kids you know grab I mean did you gravitate towards other sports before you sort of settled on soccer no my brother played soccer when I was young and you know obviously you look up to your older brother he was four sure. years older than me and I just wanted to do what he did so I started playing and you know you love the game and you know I would imagine most of us at this level when you're a kid you know and you're five six whatever seven in your hometown you know you're beating up on the other kid you know it, yeah or you know you, you were I don't know. At that age, it was, you know, so easy and you felt like you were like had a natural gift for the sport. And so you chased it as long as it'll go. And, you know, it became into high school, like, let's try to get a scholarship. And then you get into college and, you know, your first couple of years, you don't really know what it's about. And you start having some success on the collegiate level. And then you start to see guys getting drafted. And, you know, you tell yourself you're as good as them, if not better. And then, you know, that senior year, you – you just hope, man, and it happens. And, you know, the draft is essentially just a glorified tryout, unless you're one of the, you know, yeah. generation of Adidas guys or whoever's guaranteed. But essentially it's just your your tryout, you know, to wherever you're drafted to. So what was the youth soccer scene like growing up in Knoxville, Tennessee? Was it a big – was soccer a big sport? I mean, that feels – I mean, as somebody who watched a lot of football, that's like the heart of SEC country. That's, that's – yeah, it's, it's like SEC. American football country. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, – I mean, obviously Knoxville lives or dies by the, you know, University of Tennessee. Um, but I don't know. You kind of get yourself inside the community. and Maybe it feels bigger than it is, you know, looking back. Because, you know, I remember as a kid, it was – you know, it was nonstop soccer, you know, I, all my friends played, everyone I was associated with played, you know, every weekend, you know, to get games that are competitive, you're driving three, three to six hours every weekend to go play wow. two games, to have some competition, you know, from Knoxville, you go to Atlanta, or, you know, maybe even drive to North Carolina to Raleigh area or Charlotte, or, you know, down to Florida. And, you know, a lot of my, my childhood was spent just driving in the car with my parents. And, now, I talked about it with my parents. It was awesome. You know, you're forced at those ages to, you know, bond with your parents that normally a 14-year-old kid or a kid going through puberty doesn't care. You know, not to say they don't care, but there's other things that are on their agenda at that age. Sure. So it was nice to kind of build that bonding relationship. You know, you're in the car with your parents on an average three to six hours each direction on the weekend. And, you know, you're talking about school. You're talking about girls. You know, you're talking about everything. So, yeah. so Growing up Jewish, you mentioned that age and how much time – you know, obviously the better you get, the more time it requires. How, how was it growing up Jewish and, you know, you know, somewhat observant and committed to the ritual side of Judaism while also committing all that was necessary towards, you know, towards your soccer? Yeah. I, I mean, I specifically remember missing games for young people or Rosh Hashanah and, you know, when you're young, you're, you know, you're pissed. You don't understand why your dad's making you, you know, sit in the synagogue, you know, fasting for, you know, 25 hours. And you don't really understand it. And, you know, at a kid, it was tough on me. I remember fighting with my dad. I'm like, why, why, why? But, you know, looking back, you know, 
I'm happy. I'm proud of what I've, di- I've done. And, you know, obviously in the South and especially in Knoxville, you know, there's a handful of Jews, you know. And, you know, you go to high school maybe, I don't know, on average five to ten in your high school. So, you know, when I went to Israel, it's the first time I was really surrounded by the culture. We're going to talk more about your experience in Israel, but first, a quick word from our sponsors, Milovitz, Gallup, and Milovitz. I am Alan Milovitz, and I have been helping injury victims for over 30 years. If you have been a victim of an injury or accident, don't sign anything until you have spoken to an attorney. You could be signing away your right to fair compensation. If you have been injured, call us. We want to help. We will make a time to talk about your case. You can reach Milovitz, Gallup, and Milovitz at 763-560-0000. That's 763-560-0000. So you mentioned Israel. Now, you signed for Minnesota United, uh, I guess, in February, was it? January? Yeah. Okay. So you came right into training camp starting, and but you signed from Maccabi Tel Aviv in Israel. Yeah. What were yeah. those last four years like playing professionally in in Israel? Yeah, it's an experience of a lifetime. I mean, I'm so fortunate, so grateful that I was given that opportunity and was able to make a you know my life and just kind of choose my path over there. Um, you know, it's, a, it's such a different culture, um, such a different environment to be in, and I mean, I, I really just don't know how to describe it. I'm so, like I said, so thankful and so grateful for everything I, I was able to do over there. Was there a special draw to playing in Israel and not just anywhere overseas after, you know, you started your MLS career with Columbus? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I remember when it was coming up, when I was going to be a free player, you know, I remember speaking with my agent, um, you know, options, a lot of Americans uh, will go to Sweden, Norway, Denmark, mm-hmm. I mean, Scandinavian countries. And I remember, you know, I had this offer in Israel or, you know, this opportunity to go. And I remember for me that, you know, it's just – you're right of return, you know what I mean, as, you know, as a Jew and such a Jewish American that I've never been. And, you know, for me, I just thought it would be more unique, more special to go there. So you you got to play, I mean, Maccabee Tel Aviv, for people who don't know, is arguably the biggest club in Israel, right? The biggest. The biggest club. Not <laughs> yeah. arguably, it is the biggest club yeah. in Israel. Um, That's the fight with Maccabi Haifa and <laughs> Maccabi Tel Aviv, so. <laughs> No, but you also got to play on both sides of the Tel Aviv Derby, which is the the, the rival, for those who don't know, the uh, the Derby is the the rivalry game between teams of the same city. Um, What was that like having, I mean, there's, there can't be a lot of players who, who cross the divide that way. No, it's tough when you cross the road, but you know, I've seen it from both sides, you know, Apollo Tel Aviv's, you know, generally the working class people, um, you know, they're both great. You know, Maccabi is more of an upper, upper class uh, fan base, but, you know, I've been on both sides, you know, I was fortunate enough to, uh, you know, I'll, I'll be getting my, get to Maccabi. Um, but, you know, my first, you know, I played two games at Maccabi Netanya before I signed at Apollo Tel Aviv, but, you know, it's just, I don't know. It, it was fortunate to see both perspectives, you know, mm-hmm. you're on one side who's just trying to get a point, you know, essentially a draw is a good result. And then you go to Maccabi and anything less than a win is, you know, the worst thing in the world. So, yeah. so I've had, the, I've had the, the pleasure, pleasure and privilege to go to Europe to see both uh, club games and national team games. One thing I think people th- that's really hard for me as a fan to try to explain is the passion that comes with it. Yeah. Do you feel that on the pitch when you're playing? 
Um, yeah, especially in Israel. Um, you know, the people of these clubs are around for over 100 years, 120 years, these clubs. And so you have five, six generations of like born identity and love for, you know, the club. Yeah. And, you know, you know, especially over there, if you lose a game, you know, you've, I don't know, every fan, 50, 100, 200,000 fans, you know, that are in the city, you know, even the 20 at the stadium, you know, their week is ruined if you lose the game, you know, like literally their week is ruined if you lose a game. You know, with these, it's crazy. You know, in America, you know, obviously our league's young, 25 years, you know, you you do have real fans. You have true fans. Um, I just don't think you have the generational fans that are not yet, not yet, not yet. You know, and our, my children's generation, maybe my grandkids, you know, you'll start to have these generational fans that are living and dying by the club, you know, and for instance, over there, you know, on the streets, you know, I'm not saying everyone, but you see so many people with the tattoos of the clubs they represent or, you know, the emblems of either a Apollo and Maccabi or, you know, the Beitar, any political symbol, you know, like these, like people represent their clubs all over their body. And you mentioned, you know, that uh, Maccabi Tel Aviv tends to be more of the elite side of the elite, you know, upper class club as opposed to Hapo, yeah. which is more working class. Clubs traditionally throughout Europe do tend to attach themselves a little more to movements. Uh, yeah. Otherwise than stuff. they would. Yeah, of course. So it's uh, it really is interesting, and I think it's such a foreign concept to people here. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's true, you know. It, you know, all these clubs. You know, essentially, there's three political parties, and each club really took like their own stance. And you know, and this is where the fans come from, based right. off the city and the political stance. God, that's so fa- it's it's so fascinating to hear about it, and to have lived the experience of of playing through it is very cool. What made this the right time to come back to the states and? you know, fortunately for us to Minnesota. Yeah, no, I mean, my contract was ending, you know, in six months from when I signed and, uh, you know, I, they offered me to stay, but, you know, I just felt, you know, I was getting older, turning 30, you know, I was dating Abby and so it was a good moment to come back, um, you know, want to prove yourself back in the States and, you know, show what you gained over the four years and the way you matured and, you know, all of us families are getting older, you know, and just be closer to the family was, was a huge thing for me. So now the first game in the bubble was against Kansas City. You came on as a sub and I don't think it's, you know, I think it's fair to say you changed the game coming on. Like everything, you hit the crossbar, you drew the red card on the goalie. I mean, everything, yeah. everything happened after you came on. What's you've come on. I mean, you started a couple of games down there. You you've been a sub other times. What's the, the difference in the mentality starting from minute zero versus coming on, maybe chasing a goal with 15. Yeah. I think as a starter, um, I think if you ask anyone starting the game, it's obviously it's tough. You have a lot of responsibility, you know, minute wise, you're going to be tired, but it's much easier to get in the flow of the game. Mm-hmm. And I think when you come on as a sub, you know, guys been going for 60, 65, whatever, 70 minutes. And you come in and, you know, uh, you're at a bit of a slower pace, you know, mentally, physically, you know, everyone's fully warm. You're trying to catch up. But I think as a sub, you just try to make any impact you can. You know, if it's creating what maybe you need to hustle, you know, you need to chase down a few more balls because maybe your winger's tired or you just try to give some impact anywhere you can. Um, so I think it, it's a different mindset you have to come into the night with, for sure. Yeah. And you're, you're a big guy. You're 6'4"? Yeah, 6'3". 6'3", 6'4". So you're very tall. You're, you know, in soccer parlance is, you know, 
can be more of a target man. You're yeah. The co- balls come in from the wing. You're 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 a good sized target to try to uh, to aim for. Um, yeah. But I think one of the you know things that impressed me was sort of the speed. You're not afraid to take off on a run down the wing and you know get into space either. Yeah. No. Fortunately, you know I come from a, a family of runners. You know my dad was really <laughs> athletic. <laughs> So for me, you know, I think what separates me than a lot of big men are that I can run. You know, I have enough speed to get in the channels. I can go, you know, one-on-one into and the channels. And I'm not only, you know, like a big target guy at sitting, but, you know, between the 18, just waiting for balls to come in. Right. So the the Columbus game, that was really interesting because I, obviously that was your old, your, your first team in MLS that yeah. you played for. Um, and you got to take a penalty in the shootout and were successful with it in, in a shootout situation what goes through your head? How, uh, how do you keep yourself calm and in the moment? Yeah. I mean, pressure is whatever you make it, you know, obviously that was an elimination game. You know, you're in the first round of the the bubble playoffs and um, I don't know what you can make the situation a lot more difficult than it needs to be in your head. You know, if you go up there, tell yourself, you know, it's just like training, you know, at the end of training, you see, you know, five, six, seven guys every training just joking around taking penalties and, you tell yourself it's it's the same mentality, you know, and you just go up and hit it, you know, and if you put on frame, the goalie makes a good save, then so be it, you know, but, you know, you just try to, you know, strike a good clean ball and, you know, obviously if you hit a good, you have a high percentage of it going in, you know, <laughs> you got to at least hit the target. You got to hit the target. You, 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 you can't play. miss the goal. Yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes guys get a little cute and try to go, you know, top corner and, you know, when you're hitting it, it's great, but when you miss it, it, you know, it looks bad and, just try to hit a ball with good power, good pace, and, you know, just try to stay away from that middle zone. You know, either keep it on the ground or go high. You know, the yeah. middle zone, easy for the goalie to, you know, get his hand to. Yeah, and, it's too, too easy a height for him. Yeah, and, you know, modern-day soccer now, you know, so many guys have the confidence, uh, you know, the balls, you know, to say to go down the middle. You know, when you're younger, you know, it's too scary to go down the middle. Oh, now, absolutely. You know, goalies, you know, at the professional level, to save a ball, you essentially need to jump early, you know, because of how hard guys are hitting it now. And, right. A lot of times now you can catch guys in the middle. Yeah. So the um, you're back now in Minnesota, as we said. The season restarts uh, the 21st. Yeah. Uh, against once again against Kansas City. <laughs> um, it, it, the the I guess closest thing we have to a rival up here right now. Yeah. Um, you've been back in training for a couple days now. What's it like, sort of being back home and trying to get into a I guess what passes as a normal routine again when you have so much uncertainty left in the season? Yeah. I mean, obviously it's tough. You know, we had a couple of days off after the bubble, you know, everyone got to be with their you know, family, girlfriends, wives, kids, whatever it may be. Um, you know, obviously to get back in the routine takes a little bit and you're just trying to stay positive. Obviously, you know, we have six games set ahead of us. You know, we've heard rumors that it's going to be up to 18 and, you know, you're just trying to prepare yourself for the, you know, the best you can. And, you know, obviously we're fit and we we're down in Orlando in the heat for, you know, 40 plus days running. So, you know, it's nice that we're not just running all training, you know, you're still playing and, right. you know, fortunately we made a deep run, you know, there's teams that, you know, essentially, uh, you know, if you look at Nashville, they were out of the bubble obviously because of Corona uh, issues, but they came back from the bubble and it was fitness for, you know, three, four weeks. Yeah. You know, obviously they won last night in Dallas, but, uh, you know, that, that's, I'm thankful for that, that we made a deep run. So you're not like literally starting another preseason. You mentioned you mentioned the Nashville Dallas game, and I wanted to bring that up. I don't know if you saw there was a little bit of 
controversy, at least what yeah. came out of the crowd, uh, the players, all, all that were on the field for the anthem took the knee before the anthem, as has been done throughout, you know, throughout the bubble uh, starting up. And I just wanted to know what you thought about that with the, with the fans booing the players and throwing bottles at them. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, with my fans, I didn't think it was too kind or too nice to the fans. I don't understand why they would start that. You know, you have a group of players all trying to make unity in a situation. And, you know, obviously the national anthem means something different to each and every one of us. You know, you know, some guys come from a line of military families or, you know, people who serve. And it means something different to every, every person there. And, you know, you know, obviously I have my own opinion. I, I think right now on sports or I don't see it the point of having an anthem it's just dividing the country more and more and you know because obviously I feel like the protests you know aren't against the anthem you know it's a way to right. get solidarity you know it's not people claiming they're anti-military or anti you know everything it's you know a way to raise an issue and I think uh, you know there's people out there who are just so disgusted and can't believe people aren't standing for the anthem and it's just making a huge divide. And, you know, obviously I have my personal opinion. I just think the anthem should be used, you know, for national team games. And if you look across our league, you have, you know, some nights there's maybe one American starting on an MLS team, you know. Right. And is the anthem really important to the foreign players? You know, I, I don't know. Obviously I'm not inside their head. But it's uh, it's unusual because I think in America, but maybe, it's, you know, I don't – I can't speak for every country. Obviously I played in Israel. But, you know, it's so uncommon to hear a national anthem in other countries before sporting events. And, right. you know, I have players on our team who played in Spain or, you know, Greece and Finland. And, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty unusual. Uh, so I was going to ask you, you mentioned the experience in Israel, though. Did, did they play yeah. Hatikva in the stadium before the game? Yeah, Beitar Jerusalem would play it. But that would be the only club that would play, you know, the national anthem. Right. So, um, it's, it, yeah, obviously, you know, it's big discussion right now, you know, sure. if you've been to Twitter and everything. And everyone's entitled to their own opinion right now. And I think that should be the, the thing going forward, um, that everyone is allowed to express the way they feel. You know, if you have a player that doesn't feel comfortable taking a knee, and it's, so, you know, everyone is entitled to their own opinion. You shouldn't be, you know, ridiculed and destroyed by people because you took a knee or if you didn't take a knee. Right. And, and I think – you know, we're fortunate in Minnesota to have somebody like Ike Opara, you know, your teammate, central defender, yeah. who is a leader in the black players movement. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the sort of association that that's formed in the wake of everything that's happened with George Floyd. Yeah. And so. Yeah, yeah, we're fortunate. Ike's an amazing leader, you know, yeah. he's really well-spoken. Um, you know, he, he's got our back in every situation. You know, Ike's, Ike's an amazing leader to have. So the, with the uh with being now sort of back in minnesota obviously not back to normal here by any means but you know and i don't know what it was like for you in columbus but do you have any interest or have you in previous stops sort of connected with the jewish community at all uh where where you've been at professionally um no i I, you know i obviously i meet a couple people always in every city or jewish and we keep in touch and you know, there's some people in Columbus, you know, I'd go have, you know, do Kiddush with and, you know, spend my Shabbos with. But, you know, usually I just kind of keep to myself. Um, you know, I prefer to be spiritual on my own, you know. Sure. Not too big into the organized stuff. But, you know, I, I always meet a couple people in every city. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. I mean, it's, you know, again, it, it, this is a judgment-free zone. I was sort of – Yeah. I was especially with, you know – 
the, you know, the life of an athlete tends to be, you know, you're, you're not necessarily in the city year round. You may, you know, in the off season, when that hits, you may go back to Tennessee. You may, I mean, you may go North Carolina, you may go anywhere. You have that sort of freedom. Um, You mentioned leaving the national anthem for national team games. You have not had the privilege of playing either for the U S or for Israel. Now you do have an Israeli passport. If you were called up by the Israeli national team, would you play for them? Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I, at this point, you know, I'm getting older and it would be nice. <laughs> um, obviously, if I'm younger, maybe you know, obviously, I feel more connected to states. You know, sure. At heart, asking, I say I'm an American. Sure. So obviously, you know, I would play for the states if that happened. But uh, you know, either way, I don't think it's a bad option. Do you have either option? No, listen, n- not many people get to say they play for their country. So, well, I was called for Israel. We were they were playing Croatia before the World Cup. Um, which would have been an amazing experience. Yeah. And uh, I went on, you know, obviously the law of return and the birth, you know, because my the Jewish heritage in the family, yep. and, you know, FIFA, FIFA didn't acknowledge my passport at the time. Oh, they didn't? No. Oh. You know, it's difficult because, you know, you'd, yeah, it hurt. I don't know if it's factual, true, but, you know, certain countries were offering like Brazilian players, you know, passports to come play for the national team. So they had to make a rule. Or either you have to, you know, show your families inside the country and have been there, or you have to live in the country for five years consecutively. Oh, interesting. So. Yeah, I think there were a couple of Brazilian players that uh, played for Japan, maybe in the nineties. That I, I don't. I heard Qatar was like one. Oh, of some yeah, some some Qatar. I think uh, you know a lot of Brazilian players end up playing at least club in Ukraine and and end up trying to get some yeah. citizenship that way. So. I get them trying to clamp down, but yeah, I understand. You know, obviously if you, you know, if you don't clamp down, there's going to be a lot of instances. So wait, you think there's corruption in FIFA? I, I don't, what are you talking about? <laughs> it's probably a smart move. All right. Last couple of questions. Yeah. We'll let you get, let you get out of here. Uh, what is your favorite Jewish holiday? Mm. I'll see Hanukkah, the child. Um, okay. Yeah, I would say Hanukkah. All right. Yeah, that's good. Uh, yeah. And favorite Jewish food? Definitely not Ashkenazi food. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Some Sephardic. Um, there's this little Yemen food was always really good. You know, okay. full of spices and you know they have the slug, the hot sauce, and everything. That's really good. Um, yeah, definitely nothing that's Ashkenazi food. See, it's funny. Anybody who spent any time any significant amount of time in Israel will always go to something Israeli. So if yeah. there's an Israeli dish, not a specifically, you know, Jewish dish. Oh, Israeli dish. Okay. Let's go. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that one too. Oh, uh, what's it called? This Moroccan fish. You've had this. I, it's like a spicy fish they make on uh, for Kiddush. Okay. Wow. Wow. I have so not. It, it's just like, uh, essentially, you know, people do salmon or tilapia, but it's essentially just in a bed of spices. There's chickpeas with it, you know, oh. usually really spicy, uh, served with like a bed of rice. That was my favorite. Well, that's awesome. Uh, well, Aaron Schoenfeld, Minnesota United forward. Thank you so much for joining us for episode 100 and best of luck to you and the loons as the season continues. We hope it's hopefully, you know, COVID withstanding will go off without a hitch and we can be back at Allianz together next year. I hope so. I hope so, man. I appreciate you having me on. Thanks so much. Have a great day. You too. The Who the Folk podcast is part of the Jew Folk Podcast Network, a product of Jew Folk Inc. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show wherever you get your podcasts. 
If you have suggestions for other podcast guests, please email them to me at editor at tcjewfolk.com. For our other shows, check out tcjewfolk.com slash podcast.